Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. What a way to start this morning. Um, It is in that powerful name that we gather. It is in that powerful name that we worship and are here this morning. So if you don't know anything else this morning, know that is the point of everything we are doing in this place is to worship that powerful name. So we're glad to do that together. We're we're thankful to do that corporately um, and to worship him. So now we're going to spend some time in scripture. Um, If you spend some time around Western churches, you're very familiar with the sing song, sing song, scripture, sing song, sing song. We do that to help you feel familiar, feel comfortable, you know. It doesn't mean any other way is wrong or that this is the only way, but uh, we believe in the teaching of God's word and the power it has, and uh, so we always want to be a church that does that. Um, Is anyone, like Domi said, excited for the sun outside? Finally, all our depression can melt away and be hidden for three months until the darkness comes back. Um, But summer is upon us. It is warm. It is beautiful. It was 30 degrees the other day. The flowers are blooming. Pollen is filling the air. And if you are like me, you are just suffering in silence. You know, you're a part of those who suffer Um, But it's worth it. It's one of those things where I'm like, you know what? I will suffer these two months so it's not dark anymore, so the sun doesn't set at 4 p.m. I get to sit in my living room and watch the sun at 8 p.m. That is incredible, and I will suffer. I will have a stuffy nose. I will have a pressure-filled head. I will sneeze a lot just to have the sunshine. So if I'm a little off this morning, you can hear it in my voice. My nose is a little, I might sneeze a few times, whatever it be. Hey, I'm suffering in silence for us, you know, for the sunshine so we can have it. Um, No, it just needs to rain again. I said downstairs, I said, if it rains all day tomorrow, I'll be so happy. And I'm probably the only person that feels that way. But I just want to be able to enjoy it like the rest of you. Um, but if you're, if you have a copy of God's word, if you don't, there's one on the back table there. You can have it. There's a French one, English one. It's yours. Um, open your phone, open whatever you have. You can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter one. We're starting our new series today and it's a convenient little thing here. Guess what? We're in Matthew and we decided to call it Matthew, um, the gospel of Matthew, let alone, um, we're very clever in our naming here. Um, we don't want you to be confused, you know. We, we know we just want to be simple. You know? I get confused easily. So it's just we're in Matthew, so it's Matthew, okay. Um, we'll spend several, several weeks here um, studying the book of Matthew and the life of Jesus Christ. And I always find myself coming back to the Gospels regularly. Um, and I'm going to say that word gospel a lot throughout this. I'm going to say the gospel, capital G, Um, And we we mean that by the first four books of the New Testament. And the word gospel just simply means good news. It is good news. And capital G gospel, when we capital it and we say the gospel, um, this isn't proper, but it's the goodest news. It is the most good out of all of them. It is the ultimate good news. It is the news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection 
purchasing our salvation. So that's when we say the gospel. I'm going to say it a bunch. The gospel, the gospel according to Matthew. That is what we're talking about, the good news of Jesus Christ. And like I said, throughout the year, I always find myself gravitating back to one of the gospels um, because I find it refreshing. And I find it kind of just puts me back on track. You know, I get a little distracted and then I come back to the gospel and I'm like, this is it. This this is the simplicity. Just Jesus. Getting me back to that place of just Jesus. And that's why we chose this series, to always come back to this place of the good news and be reminded of the main thing, and that thing being Jesus. So a little bit about the gospel according to Matthew. Give us some history, some context. Um, It's not thought to be the first gospel book written, even though it's at the start. It's not thought to be the first one. Um, But it's a great bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament because there's 130 Old Testament quotes and allusions within Matthew. Um, So it's a nice, easy transition between these old writings and these prophecies into the new covenant with Jesus. Um, It's widely accepted that Matthew was written to the Jewish population. For one, he focuses on the fulfillment of Old Testament more than any gospel writer. And secondly, Matthew doesn't explain Jewish culture like the other writers. And it kind of adds to the argument that Matthew is probably writing to Jewish people because he doesn't explain them. They just understand these washing, these cleansing things, these words he uses. Um, it's, it's very assumed that it's written to a Jewish population. Matthew's strong Jewish perspective and equally strong critique against the Jewish leaders suggests that Matthew's primary audience is a Jewish Christian community and conflict and debate with the larger unbelieving Jewish community. So the Gospel of Matthew triumphantly ends with a verse that many of us know. It ends with Jesus commanding his followers to make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28. So the gospel of Matthew is deeply rooted in Judaism, but at the same time is able to look beyond it. It sees the gospel itself as more than a message for the Jewish people. Rather, it is a message for the whole world. So that's just a quick overview to know the setting, the time, place, so we can understand it better and read it from a perspective of, okay, this is kind of why he's saying these things. It helps me put in a perspective of the truths he says. Um, So we know Matthew The gospel according to Matthew, it is the good news that Matthew wrote down about the life of Jesus. So to start this whole series, I get, often I get to be the person who launches this into series. And I love it because it's a lot more freeing. You know, you get to cover all of it instead of just one simple part. But I thought long and hard about the first two chapters I'm to preach today. Um, And I said, before we get into this whole gospel, who is this good news about? Why is Jesus special? Why are there 28 chapters in this particular gospel book dedicated to his life? And why is it called good news? And I want us to unpack that because I think Matthew starts on purpose in this way in these first two chapters to really say, this is Jesus. This is what makes him special. This is who he is. So for us to understand the gospel, I want us to know first who the gospel is about. So the first two chapters, like I said, conveniently do that. They unpack it. They tell us who Jesus is and what makes him who he is. 
So I want us to go through the first two chapters. We're not going to read every verse. I know you were like, oh my gosh, are we going to sit down and just read all 60 of these verses? No, you can take a sigh of relief. We're not going to do that. We're not going to stop at every verse, but we're going to stop at a few key verses and highlight who Jesus is and what it means, um, the points he's making. So there are ones there are ones that we won't cover today. You know, there will be a few more titles in there given to Jesus that unfortunately we don't have time to cover all of them today. If you want to know them, I have them written down. You can come talk to me after. But we're going to focus on the big ones, a few of the big ones that Matthew makes. Um, so it's going to be a little more different than usual this morning. Um, but stay focused. Get some coffee. Get some tea. Um, I think there's some cookies in the back. Um, wake up. Whatever you need to do to stay focused. So let's get back to the main thing today. So first, who is Jesus? It's going to be nice on the screen. Whoa, what? You could write that down if you want. It's like I put it up there for you. Who is Jesus? And there's going to be points along the way. So the first one, right off the bat, we see Jesus, the Messiah. And we'll read it. It's written throughout Matthew many times and throughout the rest of the gospel so many times. Here it's in verse 1. It says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, descendant of David Abraham. It's written in 117, which you can turn to. It says, all those listed above, including 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. All right, when I'll point at you, I'll say, to the Messiah. There we go. The Messiah is who we're talking about. And then again in 18, it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. And then in 2.4, Herod asked the question. He says, King Herod was deeply disturbed. He heard this and everything in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah to be born? So that is the first thing we see Matthew use four times in these first two chapters. Jesus, Messiah. And I want to give us a definition. You know, what is Messiah? Well, great. I have a definition for you. Messiah simply means anointed one or chosen one. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed by oil when they were set apart for the positions and responsibilities given to them. The anointing was a sign that God had chosen them and consecrated them for the work he had given them to do. If you've read the Old Testament, you see that with the kings, like David, he was anointed with oil and set apart and set before the Lord. That's simply just Messiah means anointed one. But here, even more so, Jesus was set more apart and anointed more than all those before. He is capital the capital M, Messiah, promised. And you're like, well, where does that come from? Conveniently, we have that listed out for you today. In Isaiah 42.1, there's a prophecy that says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. So there you go, the chosen one whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Again, it's quoted the Messiah, the chosen one in Isaiah 53, Jeremiah 31, Psalm 2. You can write those down. And again, the Gospels repeatedly declare that Jesus is the Messiah, the one chosen by God and anointed by him to save his people from their sins. You can see that in Matthew 16, Luke 4, John 1, 4, and 26. Over and over again, it is pointed out that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one set apart and anointed by God. So the first title Waste no time. Matthew gets right into it. Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one. 
And if you ever watch the show The Chosen, it just makes me think of that over and over again. I think of that. The Chosen, the Chosen One. And, like, he is the Chosen One, and he chooses his 12. It's great, great. Watch that show. It is totally free. Just watch it. Do yourself a favor and watch it. That's a side note. The second title we see Matthew give here again in the first verse is that Jesus is king. He is a descendant of David, of the royal line of David. We see that in verses 1 and 6 when he lists the great line of ancestors. And a little little side note here, that's not the full list of ancestors. Like, that's not enough generations to get back there. But a lot of times in Jewish culture, they make it nice and neat. And he does 14, 14, 14. So it looks nice and neat, easy to memorize. Because unlike us, they didn't have this just sitting before them. And they could just read all these names. They had to memorize it. So he gives them an easy way to memorize it. So just to let you know, there are more names. There are some that aren't there. But he's trying to bring us back that Jesus is a of the line of David. He says that in verse 6. He says, Jesse was the father of King David. And then we go from 6 all the way down, and it says, and this is how the Messiah was born from the line of David. And that's often quoted in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, when he looks at David and says, I will raise up in your line a ruler whose kingdom will never end. And again, we see it in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, which I'll read and it will be on the screen. He says this, for to you, for to us a child is born. Often you hear this around Christmas. You're like, whoa, is this Christmas? It's not. It's too warm for Christmas. But just, just bear with me. It says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing him, holding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So the Old Testament time and time and time again is prophesying of this Messiah, this chosen one that would be a son, an ancestor of David. And Matthew wastes no time in the first sentence. He says, Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David, the one you're looking for. And he points to Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, the promised king, and that his kingdom has no end. Immediately when he makes this reference, these people would start being filled with these scriptures of him establishing this kingdom that never ends, coming from the line of David and ruling in peace and justice and righteousness. And he says, even if you don't believe that, let me go a little farther back for you. Not only is Jesus a descendant of David like promised, he is a descendant of Abraham, which we see in verses 1 and 2. Matthew not only connected Jesus to David, but even back further to Abraham. Jesus is the seed of Abraham promised who all nations would be blessed. We see in Genesis 12, 3. And if you're unfamiliar with that, God made a covenant with Abraham, a promise promising to create from him a great nation, that nation of being Israel, and to give him the promised land, and that through his descendants, through Abraham's descendants, all nations on earth would be blessed. It is through the salvation available through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection that nations will be blessed. So immediately Matthew's making the connection from this promise that they're like, we will be blessed by his generations. And they're looking for it and looking for it. And he's like, it has come and has been accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah. It is now available. That blessing is given. The covenant is fulfilled. 
And you say, why does Matthew start here? Why does he start his gospel immediately with these three titles given to Jesus in his first sentence? Because all these prophecies, all these covenants, all point to one person, and that is Jesus, the arrival of the King, of the Messiah, and he fulfills every one of them. He is the Messiah promise. So Matthew is looking at these readers and saying, stop looking for it. Stop looking for him. He has come. The Messiah has come, and he is victorious. He has established his kingdom, and it reigns forever. He says, this is Jesus. So you better watch out. The Messiah has already come. This kingdom that you're looking for, this reigning king is already here, and you better not miss it. So we also see he gives a title of Jesus. He says, Jesus is fully man. He says in verses 18 through 25, it says he was born of a virgin. Let's read it, verse one, or chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Joseph, But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid and take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for, his, for he will save his people from their sins. We'll stop right there. It's important for us to understand this truth today, that Jesus is fully man. A great quote from someone way more wise than me, um, a guy by the name of Spurgeon, you know, any, any name drop there, say, boom, whoa, he knows his stuff. This is his quote. It says, there was no other way of his being Jesus. There was no other way of his being born. For had he been a sinful father, for had he been of a sinful father, how should he have possessed a sinless nature? He is born of a woman that he might be human, but not, a man, but not by man that he might not be sinful. And I want you to know this morning that in the conception of the Holy Spirit, there is no hint of pagan deity human coupling relation. Um, instead, the power of the Lord manifests in the Holy Spirit, who was expected to be active in the Messianic age, miraculously brought about the conception. Our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, was fully man. It is crucial for us to know and understand this this morning. And coupled with that, not only was he fully man, but he was also fully God, which we see in verse 23. You jump down to it. It says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we know not only Jesus was fully man, he was God with us, fully God and fully man. To unpack that more, I want us to look at a few more scriptures that describe him as God in flesh. Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Hebrews 10, 14, it talks about Jesus was the final perfect sacrifice that satisfied, satisfied forever God's wrath against sin. His divine nature made him fit for the work of Redeemer. His human body allowed him to shed the blood necessary to redeem that it talks about in Hebrews 2. No human being with a sin nature could pay such a debt. 
No one else could meet their requirements to become the sacrifice for the sins of the world. If Jesus were merely a good man, as some people claim, not also fully God, then he had a sin nature and he was not perfect. In that case, his death and resurrection would have no power to save anyone. But because Jesus was God in flesh, fully God, fully man, he alone could pay the debt we owed. His victory over death and the grave won the victory for everyone who put their trust in him. And Matthew says here, quoting the Old Testament we just read, he will be called Emmanuel. And that's just a title. That means God with us, like it says. But the title Emmanuel, this title of Jesus refers to both his deity, God with us, and his identification with the nearness to man, God with us. We can deeply reflect on this meaning and this name to help us understand the depth of it more. It shows how low God bent down to save man. That he added the nature of one of his own creatures, his creations, to his own divine and perfect nature. Accepting the weaknesses and frailties and dependencies that humans face. It shows what a great miracle it was that God could add a human nature to his own and still remain God. It shows the compatibility between the unfallen human nature before sin entered and the divine nature of God. That the two could be joined shows that we are truly made in the image of God. It shows that we can come to him. Because he has come to us. When we see God, Emmanuel, with us, he has come to us and now has made a way for us to come to him. He is Emmanuel, God with us, fully God and fully man. And in doing that, the next title he has given is Savior. Because of these other titles, he is Savior, verse 21 when he's telling, the angel's telling Joseph, he says, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is, is an alternate version of a name that just means the Lord is salvation. The Lord saves. That's why he's called Jesus Messiah. Like the Lord saves the promised anointed one, like Messiah is not his last name. Like we see Jesus Christ, which is an alternate version of Messiah. It's not his last name. He wasn't like Jesus Christ. They're like, oh, hey, what up, Jesus Christ? Um, like I would say Juan Manuel Martinez Graneros. You know, Juan has a million names. Um, but he wasn't, he wasn't Jesus Christ. That's just the title given to him so we can understand who he is. But Jesus just means the Lord is salvation. The Lord saves. And it's important that he was named that because in his life, death on the cross and resurrection, it was not an accident. It was the great plan from the start. And I can't have a talk about the cross if I do not quote Oswald Chambers. That's just personal for me. This dude just understands Jesus so deep, and I respect him. So this this awesome quote. The last part of it will be on the screen, but the first part won't. He said this, The cross of Jesus is the revelation of God's judgment on sin. Never tolerate the idea of martyrdom, martyrdom about the cross of Jesus Christ. 
The cross was a superb triumph in which the foundations of hell were shaken. There is nothing more certain in time or eternity than what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He switched the whole of human race back into right relationship with God. He made redemption the basis of human life. That is, he made a way for every son of man to get into communion with God. This is the last part. Man, pay attention to this. He wrote, the cross did not happen to Jesus. He came on purpose for it. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The whole meaning of the incarnation of Christ, of God in flesh, that is the meaning. Beware of separating God manifest in the flesh from the Son becoming sin. The incarnation was for the purpose of redemption. He is our Savior, church, from our sins, This description of the work of Jesus reminds us that Jesus meets you and me in our sins. And that his purpose was to save us from our sins because he is Savior. The Lord saves. It's so important for us to understand that. that He was God in flesh and in that came as Savior, not by accident. He didn't stumble upon the cross and say, I guess now that I'm here, I will do it. But no, God took on the weakness of man, remained fully God and fully man, and bore the wrath of yours and my sin so that we might have redemption in him. He is our Savior, the only Savior. And knowing who Jesus is, the last attribute we see here is he is to be worshipped. He is to be worshipped by the whole world. And we see that signified by the wise men coming to worship him, which you can read in verses 9 through 11. You know, the story, these, these wise men, these magi from the east, follow this star, they get to Bethlehem. We don't know if there were three. A lot of times in children's books, it's depicted as three because there's three gifts. We assume there's more than three, probably a whole caravan because they come in the city and it freaks out Herod and the other people. They're like, whoa, what is going on? And they're like, we come to pay respect to the king, the king of the Jews born here. And they're like, "Uh uh-oh. So these wise men come and they come to pay tribute to the king to come and worship this king born argue the significance of the gifts. They're like, oh, gold is for this part. Frankincense foreshadows this and myrrh foreshadows this. Regardless of that being true or not, if anything, if anything at all, these wise men recognized who Jesus is. They recognized that he was the the Messiah. He was the king promised that he is Emmanuel, God with us, and that he is Savior. And they come simply and say, we've got to just pay him tribute. We've got to worship the king because he is worthy of it. We saw that he would come. We foretold that he would, and now that he is here, we must worship him. And the crazy part was that this wasn't even what was called the people of God at the time, the nation of Israel. It was people from a whole other country, a whole other place that came and said, we got to worship this king. And I love how beautifully that illustrates, like, you and, you and me in this room, we are not the, the nation of Israel. Maybe, maybe you have Jewish heritage in this room. I don't want to assume anyone's heritage. I do not. Um, I like to tell my mom I'm from, like, she did that Ancestry Me thing. Has anyone done those? The Ancestry Me where you try to find out. 
She wanted to be like something cool so bad. And I was like, mom, we're all the white parts of Europe. Like, I have to tell you that. You need to know that. Like, we are so white. And she was like, no, 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 there's something else in there. And it came back. And guess what? All white. Yeah. I was like, like, <laughs> no, like, no. And so, like, I don't have any Jewish heritage in me. I am these people from a far-off nation. Do we recognize that the king has come, church? Are we the nation of Israel just ignoring it, waiting for things to get better, waiting for him to just fix something in my life instead of worshiping him because the king has arrived and his reign is eternal and he is coming again? Oh, come on, church. Am I just sitting and missing it? Am I missing who Jesus is this morning? As we close and think about these things, this is who the good news is about. These titles, this is who it is. And our response should just be to worship him. I so often am like, I got to do more. I got I to gotta get my life together. I got I to gotta do this. No, no, no. These men in this story, they're not saying like, ah, oh, we can't come before Jesus until we're all good. No, we got to go and just worship him. We're not worthy. We're not, like, they didn't even believe in all of the same things. But they said, we got to worship. So I promise you in this room, you don't got to come and get your life together to fix everything, to have the perfect week. Your response is just to worship and believe. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is King. He is Emmanuel, God with us now and forever. So let us ascribe the appropriate glory that belongs to our King. Worship isn't just singing songs. That's a great way that we corporately worship together. That's one of many, many ways. But we worship through giving like we see here. These people came and gave to the king because they said, you are a king. We got we to gotta just give you something. We give our lives to serve the king. You see that in like fictional movies. If you're a big nerd like me, I'm rereading The Hobbit. And like you see all these themes of like a king and, you know, you kneel down before him and you're like, I will serve you. And he like knights you or whatever it be. That is the same imagery we have here of the king of all kings. I don't have anything good enough I could give him that would honor him enough. So I simply just return back to him what he's given me. And the first thing he's given me is new life in Christ. So I can't be selfish with it. I can't say it's mine. I'm going to go do whatever I want, live this free life and have so much fun. I come back to the king and I kneel and I say, you have gifted it. It is yours. Do with it as you would have. I worship and serve the king. Because you are worthy. And all I have, all the items, all the money, whatever I have, God, it is for your kingdom and your glory. I ascribe the glory to you. You are king above all. You have gifted it, and it is not mine. So I do not hold it like this. When he calls me to give, I give faithfully. When he calls me to serve, I serve faithfully. I don't hold on to what I think is mine, my time, my selfishness, my finances. They are the king of all kings, and I cannot hold them. I must worship him with them. I must return them and ascribe the glory. The king has come. Have I come to worship him? Have you come to worship him this morning? Or do we come to just serve ourselves? So this morning, as we look back, never leave this room discouraged. Never leave beating yourself up saying, man, I got to do better. I am the worst. Hey, you're not worse than me, I promise you. So this morning, I encourage you, you can accept these truths. 
You can accept Jesus for who he is, and you can worship him right now. There's nothing in the way because he has made the way. Emmanuel, God with us, our Savior has made the way so that you can just worship him freely. So I challenge you, just surrender this morning. If that's you, surrender. God, I know I've done this before, but I lay my life at your feet again just to say, I want to get in that mindset again because I'm messing up and I'm being a dummy. And I just lay it at your feet again. Maybe you've never made that decision. You're like, what does it mean to surrender to Christ? It is simple. It is saying, God, these truths about you are true. You are Savior. You came. You lived the perfect life I couldn't. And you were the sacrifice and payment for my sins. And in you, I can have new life. So I lay my life down and give it to you. God, I want your new life. So that's we can respond in that. We can, re, we can accept him and worship him. Or I can reject Jesus and I can reject who he is. I'm not here to stand up here and convince you of these truths, to make you believe them, but it does not make these any less true. Just because you do not accept them does not make them untrue. He still is the promised Messiah who came and died for you. He still chose to be God with us, not God apart from us. In our unbelief and our doubt, he still came, and he still made the way for you to worship him. So I challenge you in the room, reflect on these this morning and say, where what am I doing with this? If this is who the gospel is about, this good news, how am I responding today? Do I accept them? Do I let so much garbage get in the way and my selfishness and pride that I don't worship the king, that I'm just trying to take and, and think that there's something in the way and lessening what the Savior has done on the cross instead of just saying, I am here to worship you. God, thank you for salvation. Are we here to worship today? He made the way for you to do it. And I challenge us as we continue to study the good news for the next several weeks. There are 28 chapters in this book, so I'm telling you, several weeks here in Matthew. And we learn more about who Jesus is and the life he lived. I pray that our natural response is to just worship him. To surrender and accept these truths, to not let my dumb self get in the way, because I'm so good at doing that. To let them reign true and say, this is true regardless of what I think or how I feel. Like Dami said, whatever season I'm in, they're still true. It's still true. And I surrender to you, Lord. And as we understand more about him, let it lead to surrender and worship of Jesus and nothing else. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.